Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is called in by Bryce Bama. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Punter to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. Who fell? Locked it on to the end zone, caught, touchdown Shea Fields. Out the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Olamode, and he runs it in from the six. Touchdown, touchdown Colorado. The defense comes up big again. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio, Adam Munster Tiger publisher of buffstampede.com here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. If you listen to our podcast, you know Tyler's a diehard Cavs fan, so <laughs> we're recording this Friday morning after a tough game one loss, but I'm happy to see a smile on your face, Tyler. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I mean, we have to go into too many details on it, but I feel like pretty much at this point I watched him win once and everything else is icing. Warriors are pretty nice. I don't think yeah. there can't be too much hatred if you lose to that team, but we'll see. One game definitely does not make a series, and Cavs proved that last year, so I'm not freaking out too much yet. Our last show, we did some spring cleaning. Uh, this show is basically just a summer check-in, kind of talk about some of the topics that have been going on in the world of CU. We are past the, the midway point between spring football practices and preseason camp, really uh, less than two months away from, from preseason camp beginning. They're, they did away with two-a-days, which allows colleges to begin their camp earlier. So CU's going to open up on July 28th, which... I'm not too excited about that. You get midway through camp and you feel like you've written every story, it's going to be even worse this year. But it's good to at yeah. least kind of get more chatter going, I guess. It's been pretty quiet. Yeah, I feel like maybe this is optimistic on my part, but I feel like maybe there'll be a little more access based on that, though, because they're not going to be back twice a day. I mean, obviously, you're only allowed to go to one on the two-a-days. And I also think it'll allow them to do a lot more useful work, I guess, for lack of a better term, because usually the second portion or the first portion, depending on the schedule of the two days is kind of a more of a walkthrough and there's not a whole lot going on. I think that added elongation of it, they'll be able, they'll be able to do a little more, um, you know, full-time football work, which I think maybe will be good for the product of the game. The uh, first three games of the 2017 season were announced in terms of the time and television. Unfortunately, the first three games are all going to be on the Pac-12 network. Uh, Friday night kickoff against Colorado State in Denver on September 1st, then two noon starts in Boulder against Texas State in Northern Colorado. Uh, how much does that annoy you as a Colorado fan, Tyler, that uh, <laughs> not a lot of people are going to see these games? Yeah, well, I have the unfortunate uh, situation where I'm not going to be able to go to the CUCSU game because of a wedding in Ohio. So I was like, ah, you know, they're both pretty good last year. It'll be on a national network. I'll fly out early on Friday and make sure I'm posted up at a bar to be able to watch the game. No one in Ohio is going to have the Pac-12 network. So I'm pretty screwed. Uh, it's disappointing because I do feel like both of these teams have a chance to be pretty good next year. 
and it's on Friday. I mean, how many yeah. national TV slots could they really be taking up besides this game? You feel like they move the game to Friday, so it is nationally televised, and it still ends up on Pac-12 Network. So I think that's a huge bust for the program, honestly. Um, it sucks for me because I'm already pissed off enough that I can't go to game, and now I can't even watch it. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, the Texas State-Northern Colorado games, that's no surprise. Right, I mean, yeah. Can't really complain about those being on Pac-12 Network or the time slots. I mean, if you want to play teams like that, they're not going to be nationally televised. Just That's just kind of how it goes. Um, so no arguments for me there. Uh, but, yeah, the CSU one stings for sure. We just taped the first couple segments for our 2017 Top Offs Countdown. We always have fun with that every year. A couple things kind of stood out to me. Uh, there's no defense alignment in our top 15 this year. Yeah. Uh, not surprisingly, we have six receivers in the top 21 spots. Ten of the top 12 are upperclassmen. Again, not surprising here. One thing that surprised me a little bit is that seven offense alignment made it into the, into the list this year. And uh, four offensive linemen actually rank in the top 13, which surprised me a little bit. Um, yeah, the, the depth of the offensive line doesn't surprise me a ton just because we lost so many guys at other positions. I mean, a lot of the linemen returned from last year. Uh, so we're, we know what we're getting in a lot of those guys, I guess. I would say we lost so many seniors. And how we do this list is it has to be guys who are here for spring ball. So uh, you can't include most of the freshmen. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't as many available guys to choose from this year as there has been in a few of the years past. So from that aspect, a lot of the returning guys just by nature are going to be on the list. Um, the linemen, five of them start. So you're going to have a little more depth in that regard as well. Um, nothing. I guess I was a little surprised. I thought it was going to be higher on some of the defensive guys especially the D lineman had me a little bit more worried than I think, but it's just tough to really put your name to some of these guys being a top 10, top 15 guy without watching them play a ton of snaps, I think is really what it comes down to. Yeah, it was kind of challenging. Sometimes you get into a position like outside linebacker where there's a ton of depth and a guy like Taron Hasselback you kind of want to have on your list, but mm -hmm. you just don't see him getting on the field a whole lot. And there's, there's definitely – so you're kind of trying to weigh out who the best players are and how big their role is going to be right. on the team this year. So that can be challenging. You look back at the 2016 Top Buffs countdown, and that got me curious, so I did the same thing looking back, and I felt like we did pretty well with our at the top of the list last year. Just going, recapping our, our 2016 Top Buffs countdown, we had Cheeto Bay Awuzie, number one, Tedrick Thompson, number two, Josh Tupo, number three, Shea Fields, number four, Jeremy Irwin, number five, Jordan Carroll, number six, Derek McCartney, number seven, number eight, Sefo Lufau. That's a pretty solid list. Mm -hmm. But we had Philip Lindsay all the way down at 14. Yeah, I personally had him as the third highest ranked running back, which obviously <laughs> is a huge bust. Um, we Sometimes we do these things a little early, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I wish we could go back after fall camp, because if we had done this after fall camp, we all would have had Philip Lindsay much higher. Yeah. Uh, I think it became pretty obvious that he was going to be your go-to guy and that Adkins was not going to be relied on as a backup. Um, you also would have seen... Um, a little bit different lineup in terms of how we were using the running backs. Donovan Lee, it became apparent we weren't going to use nearly as much as Kyle Evans, things like that. So we make a little bit of guesses sometimes in the summer when we can't watch these guys. That one looked pretty bad, though. I was laughing yeah. at myself pretty hard looking back at that. Didn't I have Alex Kinney as like a top 20 guy? Yeah, he had him 18th overall. Oops. Yeah, we, yeah not great. We had uh, Kenneth Ogbodi at 13. Um, I had him at 10. I was the highest, but I still think he probably would have been somewhere in our top 10 in a postseason 
top 40 breakdown. Um, he's an important piece of what we do. Obviously not a guy who got drafted, but that has nothing to do with how productive he was at the college level. Um, yeah, it's, it, it was a little interesting. I think you, what you mentioned those top eight, obviously Derek McCartney getting hurt. So he's not going to be a guy that finishes in the top 10, but it's hard to predict that. Um, right. Jordan Carroll at number six, probably a little high, but did end up getting drafted. So, you know, yeah. we really screwed up on one group. We had at Michael Atkins at number 17, Donovan Lee at 18 and George Frazier at 19. Yeah. We'd like a redo there. Yeah, not great. Uh, we also had a Kella Witherspoon at 25 that ended up being a huge bust, obviously. Yeah. Um, he, well, we didn't even I mean, know going into camp last year if he was going to be a starter. Start, yeah. Uh, I mean, what he did last year was unprecedented. I mean, I think we, once we saw him fall camp, we knew, okay, he's a lot more comfortable out there, but, to to actually play the way he did throughout the season, man, that was one of the best year to year turnarounds I can remember seeing it uh, watching Colorado. Looking back at that list, it definitely, again, puts in your head, there's a lot to replace on this team. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, studs all over the map. Um, you know, Jimmy Gilbert. We haven't mentioned him. Yeah, I don't even remember where, where he was on the list for us, but yeah, a guy who um, definitely was a big impact on what this team can do. I think NJ follows going to be a guy. Derek McCartney coming back too. They're really going to have to make big jumps forward uh, to make us feel better about that position. There's a lot of a lot of studs that we're going to be missing, especially on defense. So Buffs got a lot a uh, lot to lot to do before fall camp. All right, well, be on the lookout for that list. Uh, it'll be coming your way. Pretty, We're, we're going to do four guys at a time, so we're going to kind of – I mean, you got to pace yourself here. We still have a couple months yeah. until – Oh, I found another one. I have Bryce Bobo, unranked. That's, that's not good. That's good. Yeah, he was 31st overall. <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, Blake Stenstrom, the, the Colorado quarterback, commit heading out to Los Angeles for the Elite 11 Finals. I think just getting into that top 25 group – uh, makes you feel really good about his commitment. Uh, what are your expectations for him going out to this event? Uh, I mean, I haven't seen enough of the other guys to really say. I think he's a little bit underrated nationally right now. You see some of the other kids in the Pac-12 that are committed in four stars. seems like he's just as talented, if not more so, than a few of those guys. But he's at Valor. He's going to get a lot of exposure. I'm sure they're playing a lot of national powerhouses like they always do, so... He'll have chances to move up the rankings for sure. And I think last year they played Zagaro right in Arizona, and it seems like they always play somebody from California. Yeah. So there'll be guys out there watching those games, and if he blows up and kills it, I think you'll, you know, he'll move up the rankings. He's got time to prove himself. Making the Elite 11 finals does not guarantee you're going to have a success, successful college career. Shane Dillon was in the upper group out at that event. But – by and large, those guys are generally pretty successful, yeah. uh, with a few exceptions, Shane Dillon, of course, being one. You had Steven Montes, Sam Neuer, Tyler Lytle, all have proven to be legit Pac-12 talents. You bring in possibly another one. I mean, it was like a decade where they didn't get one of those type of guys. Right. Yeah, I mean, you have to feel really good about the way quarterback recruiting is going right now. Montez proved himself last year as a freshman. I think by the time you see him as an upperclassman, he has a chance to be extremely special at this level. Um, Sam Neuer, huge surprise, I think, in camp for us. He's really reliable as a backup. Um, last year, you didn't know what to expect from Montez. I think if Neuer has to play this year, the Buffs will be fine. I honestly do feel that way. Obviously, it'll take a little bit of you know getting used to growing pains, the speed of the game and that stuff, but... He's a good player. I think he'll be okay, and I, I would expect him to start for a few years at Colorado as well. Uh, Lytle, we haven't seen a ton of yet, but staff thinks highly of him, and he definitely is a guy who is highly recruited. So 
we'll get to see him a little bit more in fall camp. But yeah, you have to feel great about where we are right now. And as crazy as it seems, recruiting for quarterback recruiting for 2019, Tyler, is already starting to heat up. These guys just finished their sophomore year, but the process has gotten so accelerated for all positions, especially quarterbacks, because they got to reserve their spot. Most schools will only take one quarterback each recruiting cycle. A couple guys that have kind of emerged, Hank Bachmeyer and Ty Evans. Of course, he was the first to offer Bachmeyer back when he was a freshman, and he did a Recent scout interview at a passing league tournament, was wearing a CU cap, talked up the buffs. He does have a UCLA offer now as well, so that's going to be a lot of competition. He's a California kid. And Ty Evans is, is jumped on the, the scene here during the spring evaluation period from Palmer Ridge High School in Monument, Colorado. Got his first offer from Arkansas, of all places. You don't expect to see that. Yeah, kind of random for sure. We'll have to maybe find our way down there this year, check him out, see yeah. what we can find. That's the one thing I do want to do this year that I haven't gotten to do as much in years past is hopefully uh, watch a little more high school football out here. I typically work on Friday nights, but we're going to try to fix okay. that so I can watch some more games and watch some of these local prospects. Yeah. Ty Evans, he, he did add offers from CSU and CU now, and he told me he's been going to CU camp since he was six years old. That's where he developed the dream to play college football. Uh, grew up cheering for Notre Dame as well, and he's going out to the Fighting Irish Elite Camp, so that could be an issue for CU if, if they decide to offer. But uh, those are two guys to really keep an eye on. Again, kind of as well as they've done there, you've got to keep it going because otherwise there can be a quick drop-off in a hurry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you miss two classes in a row. It starts to look ugly pretty hurt. Oregon. In a hurry. Look at Oregon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So can't really let your foot off the gas at any point with the quarterbacks. As you mentioned, they kind of they go off the board early typically. So that's going to be one of your first two or three commitments in almost every class, it seems like. You talk about uh, wanting to get out to see more of these guys in person because it is a, a totally different evaluation when you actually see them with your own eyes. And we get to go to a couple CU camps later this month, camp season beginning. There's going to be a University of Redland satellite camp on Saturday. They're going to do two individual camps in Boulder, like I mentioned, a camp in northeast Dallas. They're going to do one uh, in northern Arizona, a couple in the Bay Area, one out in Houston. They've decided not to do the Under the Lights camp this year just because of the new restrictions. You can only do camps for 10 days now, which is a smaller window than what it used to be. So they decided... Let's be out of state because it's hard enough to get kids into Boulder to begin with. You can bring yeah. those kids out for unofficial visits if they're top priority guys. Yeah, definitely. And it's, they've had success at those out of state camps the past few years. Um, you get to have one on one with a ton of people from uh, states that you can't see every single weekend if you really need to. So I think it's important for the staff to uh, be away from campus in order to get some of these kids. They seem to have a ton of success doing that. So we'll see. And they have the they have the two camps here. Uh, you know, in hindsight, maybe they'll switch things up. You know, it's hard to say how it'll play out, but I think it's the right approach so far this year. It's funny, though, when we go to these camps and you see somebody flash and you try to figure out who they are, you always get more excited when they're an underclassman in high school, right? When oh, they're yeah. not a senior. So it's just kind of funny. You should see our reactions sometimes, the way we react when finding out about a kid. And it's like, wow, he's a freshman. You know, you always get a couple of those kids mm -hmm. at those CU camps. The NCAA finally woke up, Tyler, and they're going to let colleges recruit at these camps. You, in the past, you weren't supposed to offer them in person. You weren't supposed to talk to the parents. You weren't supposed to talk to them about recruiting. Let's be honest. It's kind of like the spring evaluation bump rule. Every college was doing that on some level. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Ignore the kid after you bring him out to your camp? That's not going to happen. Yeah. So uh, it'll be at least above board now. Um, 
One other topic here before we, or a couple more before we get into the mailbag. Michael Westbrook is on the 2018 College Football Hall of Fame ballot. There's 97 other players and 31 coaches from the FBS ranks also included in the ballot, um, and they won't announce the class until January 8th. He would be the ninth buff to be inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame if he does, in, in, in fact, get in. It's kind of weird when you look at the, the past of CU inductions into the Hall of Fame, it, the, the, the timeline of it. It's yeah. kind of all over the place. You have Alfred Williams going in, and then Herb Orvis, who played before him, going in in 2016. I don't get that at all. Yeah, I'm not really sure <laughs> how they decide someone's finally worthy. Uh, maybe you know on these lighter years where there's not an obvious name on the first ballot or something, maybe they go back to the previous classes of guys they've missed. I'm not sure exactly how it plays out, but it does seem to be a strain. You just never know which guy is going to be up on the ballot. <laughs> they always keep you on your toes. Michael Westbrook, I mean, he's a two-time All-American, a consensus All-American one of those years, and part of one of the most iconic plays in college football. How much do you think – that would play into it uh, along with his other accolades in college. I would think it would matter. Uh, you know, it's kind of a tiebreaker scenario. I don't think he really needs it, though. I mean, he's a two-time All-American. There's, yeah. There aren't a ton of those guys out there in college football. I'm kind of surprised he's not already in, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, to be a part of the, you know, miracle at Michigan, uh, it probably helps out a little bit as well. I'd be surprised to not see him get in at some point. We talked about the fact that there's going to be a December signing period on an earlier podcast, and they finally came out with the date. It's going to begin on December 20th, which seems late to me. Yeah, it's later than I think we were expecting, uh, right in the middle of bowl season, which is kind of strange. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, they can always make adjustments to this rule, but it seemed like it came pretty quickly, and they didn't really think it through as well as maybe we would like to see. I'll just go out and say it. I think this December signing period is stupid. If you're going to do an early signing period, do it in the summer when you can really alleviate these kids the pressure of the recruiting process. Right. And if there's a coaching change, like we see in basketball, McKinley, right, right? He's, mm-hmm. He signs on with Dayton. Dayton's head coach goes to Indiana. He gets to reopen his recruiting. You could simply do that in football as well because you're going to have early official visits now. Why not let them sign their letter of intent in August? It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I think it should start before the football season, before their football season, before college football season. They can allow these coaches to get back to worrying about the season. And now you've opened this can of worms. You mentioned it's bowl season. There's coaching changes. Uh, These high school kids, if you go to the state championship, your season doesn't end until sometimes like – a week and a half into December, you're really not going to have a whole lot of time for unof- uh, for official visits that time period anyways. Just stick with the regular signing period instead of this yeah, December it's 20th. Only, it's really only a month out, you know? I mean, if you include holiday season, nothing is going on, right? right. No one's doing anything from Christmas to New Year. So you really just allowed for another signing period a month earlier. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It will be interesting, though, just, I mean, if a commitment doesn't sign with you during that period, you're moving on, right? Unless he's a blue chipper? I mean, I guess. I, I, we'll see how it plays out, but I kind of feel like the staff is going to understand. I mean... But they're going to need to fill their needs, and they're going to want to know what they are for that final stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to play out. You you would think those guys that are truly committed will sign at that point, but, I mean, there's just so much turmoil in that last month of the process it's almost difficult to ask these kids to do that if they're not, you know, if they what else, you know, if they want to take other visits and stuff. I mean, Buffs, we knew guys were going to take visits around this cycle 
last year and didn't get rid of him. So I don't know. It's going to be a balancing act for sure. And selfishly, this is a 72-hour period. Am I going to have to stay awake for 72 hours to cover this? Yes. That's required? I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to need a, lot of, a whole lot of caffeine I, in that. I honestly feel like a lot of the kids aren't going to use this. If I had to make a prediction now, I don't think you'll see a ton of guys signing in December. I heard an estimate where they think 80% are. Yeah, see, I'd be really surprised by that. But we'll see. Okay. The long wait for McIntyre's contract approval should be over in a couple weeks. The Regents are going to meet June 15th, June 16th. I know there was a lot of uh, people that were frustrated that that didn't get voted on. Uh, at their last meeting, as I reported on buffstampede.com, that was an issue with the lawyers. They told them to wait until we have our report. They can go to the public. See, they, I thought they already did have the report, which is why they're in They had a 97-page report that was given to the regents uh, well in advance of that meeting so that they could go over it. But they, instead of making that 97-page report uh, available to the public, they're going to do, I guess you would call it a report of the report to the public. Oh, so they want a shorter report to release right. to the public before they do this? Okay, fine. I mean, lawyers need that money, you know. <laughs> They're making twelve hundred an hour, so they're certainly not in a hurry, right? But I mean, at this point, by by that June fifteenth, sixteenth. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we're just delaying the inevitable at this point. I did see on ESPN they had this whole situation on the ticker this morning that the victim is now looking for damages upwards of three and a half million dollars on ESPN. I haven't seen people on Twitter blowing up about that yet, but I'm sure they will once they realize that. Yeah. That's on ESPN today. Well, we got a mailbag question about this, uh, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, Nippus13 had a few questions here. How often do you and Tyler analyze film of recruits with mutual interest in CU? I know you provide good write-ups about the recruit, who he speaks with on the staff, and what he likes in CU. But do you often take a look at the film to form any opinions? You definitely do not need to name anyone if you don't want to, but if you look at huddle clips, what recruit that ended up at CU surprised you the most when he got on campus? It can be for size or just balling out when his size slash rating may not have been so great. Let's talk about the first part of this. Tyler, he asked about how much film we watch. Um, I would say that I watch a decent amount of film, but it's usually on guys that we know for sure are seriously considering committing to Colorado. So when we find out a guy's offered, unless it's a stud, I'm really not watching a whole lot of it because there's, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of those guys and it, you kind of get lost in your brain with all that right, different right. information. So you're trying to pare it down to these are the guys that are seriously considering us. We need to know about them, obviously, in case they do pop or, or if someone has a question about them on the board. So um, some of these, some of them it's easy to find film. Some of them it's tough, so that matters too. But a good amount, I guess. I mean, I'd probably say I watch 50-ish prospects a cycle, um, enough to know what type of player they are. Yeah. So what I do is I actually – a lot of times when I'm interviewing a recruit for the first time, I'll pull up his huddle while I'm talking to him. It's just, I don't know, it's just become something that I do out of habit. And I use that more so to look at a player's strengths because right. you pull up a Max Borgi, you're going to say, wow, that kid is explosive. But what are his weaknesses? You're not going to find that out by looking on huddle. These colleges have access to more game film, the all-22s they call it sometimes, but you have to pay for a subscription for that. We don't have access to that stuff. So 
again, it's it's more what does he do well, and then you try to you know find out with sources maybe you know what are some of the the other areas of concern, or you ask the recruit, hey, what are you working on? What do you need to get better at? Um, so it's very much a, a take it with a grain of salt type of deal, right? And his other question was about uh, guys that we were surprised with. Um, well, I do each year I do my post signing day picks. And in those picks, I include my previous year picks all the way back to 2005. So you can look at some of the ones I've really whiffed on. Yeah. One recently, I had Michael Matthews as my top defensive signee in 2014. Hasn't panned out that way. Now, yeah. I, I thought he was going to a 4-3 at that time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing is there's so many variables, right? I mean, the two that I can say for sure that busted out that I thought were going to be stud, the obvious one is Daryl Scott, right? I mean, you watch his film. Everybody did. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard to see how he wasn't successful at the next level. Another guy, I mean, probably my favorite linebacker film I've ever watched was John Major. And even when he was healthy, he wasn't the same guy that we saw. Well, he had the knee injuries, true freshman camp, though, so he never really was healthy. It just never really came back for him. So those are the two that stick out to me. Um, I think you were really asking those guys that we didn't love that blew up. If you're going to talk about negative, though, Yuri Wright's got to be on that list. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, though, dude. There was always the – there was a lot of people falling off on him – late down the stretch and usually that's a pretty good indicator of this kid is tapped out already um so i wasn't i mean i was surprised uh, happy that they got him still because the potential was certainly there but i honestly wasn't that surprised that it didn't pan out for him because usually when you see all these guys dropping off at once there's a reason for it and it's not just a character thing yeah. a lot of these programs take guys with character issues well I, there is a there's a character issues, and then there's a work ethic issue. And right. with Daryl Scott and Yuri Wright, it was a work yeah, ethic 100%. issue. And Mike McIntyre tries, his staff tries to kind of weed that out a little mm-hmm. bit. You're never, like you said, you're never going to bat 100%. But we've seen it with their attrition numbers, that they've yeah. done a good job with that. Yeah, I mean, the one that I will, so, like a guy we talked about a lot so far this year and what we're going to do with this person, but a guy that was rated poorly that I think both of us really liked, but especially me, I was surprised by his rating based on film was KB and Ento. Everyone was talking about how he was a guy that wasn't going to be very good at Colorado. And I compared him to Bryce Bobo when he committed and that seems to have worked out. Okay. So, I mean, sometimes you got to look at both and it's not just the ranking, but I think KB is a guy who most people are really surprised by how much talent he really has based on um, how, yeah. how widely he was not recruited. I mean, he didn't have any other power conference offers, obviously. Even, like, I think, I think Toledo was the only other FBS school that offered right. him. Yeah, and I think those are the only two. I mean, that's pretty surprising. I mean, even even if, you know, he's he's a freak physically. So it's hard to imagine that some of these schools wouldn't have taken a chance on him just based on that alone. Well, his I remember his highlight film was the same play, like, three times in a row from different angles, and yeah. it's like, that that always makes you like look poorly on it. It's like, yeah. don't you have enough other clips to throw in there? Yeah. But yeah, that's a good one. You know, Greg Henderson was a guy that no one thought was going to be very good. Came in was really good. Obviously, yeah, right away too. David Bakhtiari was a guy that yeah. people were bitching about when he committed. Yeah, and that's the thing about the linemen, man. It's so tough to figure out how their body's going to transform. These kids are sixteen; they're not ready to play college football. You know. 235, 245 pounds, you're like, that, that can't ever happen. But then next thing you know, two years later, by and large, all these guys are yeah. 300 pounds. So We try to include the fan vote into our top buffs countdown, and Nippus 13 was the only one that contributed. So we went away from the fan vote, but I want to thank you, Nippus 13, yeah. for uh, taking the time out to do your list. You are definitely one of the, 
the best posters on the board, so I appreciate you for that. LJBuff04 had this to say, It seems like Colorado kids have been more receptive and excited about a CU offer. Has McIntyre developed good relationships with high school coaches in the state? Do the coaches still go out to all schools in the state like they did in year one? And has the clinic he hosts in the winter helped in building those relationships and goodwill? Another one of those uh, three-parter type questions here. In terms of kids being more receptive and excited about a CU offer, that has to do with 10 wins and the resurgence of the program. Mike McIntyre talks about the undertow of recruiting, that you can't overcome it with those in-state kids when you're struggling and you have a bad reputation and all your classmates think it's lame to go to CU versus now it's flipped on its head, it's the other way around. Right, yeah, I think that's the biggest impact of it. But I do think he's done a good job of showing these coaches and these recruits that if you're a borderline guy, they'll stick with you. I mean, you look about a guy like Frank Umu, who didn't have an offer for a large portion of his senior year, came in late. Um, the name is escaping right now, but the late signee from Colorado Springs that we got, Jalen Sammy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Guys who, they'll, they'll find you and give you a chance late if you keep improving. A lot of the times I feel like the previous staffs, they're just stringing kids along to pretend like they're recruiting them, but really they're just you know blowing them over. This staff has shown up. We'll recruit you for months and months and months, and if you get to the level we need you to be at, we'll take you. I think that's big for a lot of these Colorado kids as well. He asked if they go to all schools in the state like they did year one. Uh, no, uh, you can't do that. Year one, it's a good idea because you want to – Get in front of that high school coach and say, here's my card. If you ever need anything, I'm, I'm here. But you spend time out in Montrose in southwest Colorado versus being out in Dallas for a day. Because you only have so many evaluation days in the spring evaluation period. for gen you, you can't do that. But it's important to, to go in and, and find out if there are uh, issues that need to be mended, you know, was there an issue with the, the past staff? Because, you know, I heard rumblings at times with Dan Hawkins staff that they neglected some of these high schools. So year one, it was very smart to do that, but yeah. you don't want to keep doing that. Yeah, I think you have to rely a little bit on finding guys in each of these regions that you trust. You know, a coach that's not going to bother you if he doesn't have a kid that's really at your caliber, but can also talk to you about other kids in the region. So that if there is somebody they need to come take a look at, they can trust this person to tell them the right evaluation before they go out there. I mean, there's there's a lot of land in Colorado uh, that, that that's difficult to get to at times. So you have to be a little more um, prepared, I guess, and you, know, you have to be able to do some of these connections without actually driving to the schools. Yeah, and of course, if you hear about a kid, a uh, kid that can sling the football, you get in your car, you drive to Monument, right? They did that this spring. I mean, there's obviously cases where uh, you, you end up hitting the road and going somewhere a little bit obscure. Um, and his last question about the coaching clinics, um, I, I would think so. I mean, anytime you can bring guys in and, and with open arms and try to teach them, that's that's a good thing. I, they've mm -hmm. always done that, though, even Embry staff and Hawkins staff. Yeah. I think... Does every college do those coaching clinics? You would think it's a pretty common thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. They bring guys in from everywhere. Um, a lot of those schools these days bring in other coaches from smaller schools in for camps, too. So that helps with the in-state um, connections as well, right? Not only are we trying to get you to Colorado, but we're also trying to get you exposure to a lot of these smaller schools that might not otherwise be able to see you. So that matters, too. Ben Hoff asked, it is still early in the process, but what potential recruits that have CU High on the list intrigue you the most with how they would fit in? 
I got a list of guys here. Anybody jumping off the page to you, Tyler, in terms of guys? Yeah, it's still early. I think I think these camps in the next three weeks will really pare down who we need to focus on for sure. It seems like we always get some commits out of these, so um, especially the satellite camps are doing in other states. The Redlands camp, it seems like we've gotten a couple kids from that the past few years. So, yeah, keep keep in touch the next two weeks here, and you'll start to get an idea of really where the staff is focused on, I think. Some guys that stand out to me are a couple of the buffbacker targets that they've offered. They've, they've adopted this position, and they're recruiting to it now. And they like Day-Day Coleman from East Texas and Kyle Wright from South Carolina. They're, they're both athletic guys that if you're running a traditional defense, they're going to be tweeners between you know, an outside linebacker and safety. But now with this new role, the, I think, think both those guys would fit in really well. And both have expressed pretty high interest in Colorado. Both actually plan to visit Boulder in the coming weeks. One guy uh, in the backyard here, Jake Heimlicher, he is from Regis Jesuit, really intriguing pass rush specialist. Again, he would fit in well, that Jimmy Gilbert role that we saw him do so well. And apparently he looked pretty good out at the opening regional event in the Bay Area last month. I've talked about Nick Bolton, inside linebacker from uh, Texas before. I like him. Uh, they're, they're still after center Justin Dietrich, actually the top-ranked center in the country from California. He's visited Boulder already. Um, four-star wide receiver Dylan Thomas, he's a 6'3 pass catcher, smooth, fluid athlete. He's going to be visiting Boulder this month. And you see the, you know, the typical cornerbacks, they, they go after those long, rangy guys. There's a couple of them in Dominique Hampton. He's got uh, Arizona schools after him, and he's going to be visiting Boulder in a week and a half. Um, and i got to mention to John Henry, I can't get him on the phone. But I enjoy watching his film. He's a speedy running back from Florida. He visited Boulder. And, again, I don't know how that trip went because he won't pick up his cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Have you watched his film? Yeah, he's a burner. Yeah. He's a burner for sure. <laughs> It'd be fun to watch him in this offense, I think. Him and, and Max Borhe would be a good – Oh, God. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. You have Max with just that short area explosiveness and Henry with that home run threat. So that would be a good running back class if they can get both those guys. VinBuffFan33 asked, who do you think will be the Buffs' next commit? You got a prediction? I have no idea, man. There's, I, I feel so out of the loop with this cycle. It seems like we just aren't getting as much information as last year. So um, I don't know who it's going to be, but I think you'll see one in the next three weeks. How about that? Okay. I'll, I'll say Jake Heimlicher from Regis Jesuit. Unless Stanford decides to offer... It's down to Cal in Colorado, and I think that appeal to stay close to his family. He's close to his family. He's going to be big, so I'll go with him. But, yeah, it's tough to predict the next commit. AG and, AG and AU had a question here. What do the regents decide to do with Tumpkin's ex-girlfriend's lawsuit now pending? They cannot punt forever. Also, when will a summary report be issued by Cozan O'Connor? End of question there. Of course, Cozan O'Connor is the law firm that – did the investigation, produced that 97-page report to the regents, and they are in the process right now of getting that report for the public, which I would imagine will be released around that June 15th, 16th meeting by the regents. But I am told that the lawsuit against CU is not going to affect the timeline on the vote for Mike McIntyre's contract extension. The regents, in fact, were ready to vote on this issue publicly at their most recent meeting before the lawyer said, look, wait until we get this report to go and go along with your vote. I expect them to approve Mike McIntyre's contract extension during that meeting, June 15th, 16th. The question that everyone then will have 
is has this situation soured Mike McIntyre on the University of Colorado? Yeah, we'll just have to play it out. Um, I can't imagine it's gone well, uh, for sure, but I, I think to some degree he understands the difficulty of the situation from all aspects as well. Um, he did bring... He but Tyler, but Tyler this is a university issue, not a Mike McIntyre issue, right? I agree. Is he I, not being vilified unfairly in that sense? I, we'll see what the report says. I mean, I think, yes, right now that's what focused on, but, I mean, he's, he's the head of the snake in terms of the football program, right? I think once the report comes out, everything will shake out the way that it should, and I think he'll be fine. I mean, if he gets approved, yes, it took longer than we wanted it to, but we got the result we wanted at some point. I think the regions at this point are just protecting themselves, and it's – They've taken it a little bit overboard at this point. And it's gotten too political, too. Right. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's frustrating. And yes, I understand why he would be frustrated or soured on the university. But once it's once everything is played out and as long as it goes the way we think that it will, eventually I think it will calm down. Theoretically, and again, this is not seeing this as fact, it had Mike McIntyre gotten frustrated with CU throughout this to the point where he wants to leave, you got to win to get those really – Attractive options, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, neither of us, we both respect Mike McIntyre as a man, as a football coach, and think he is the man to lead this program going forward. But worst case scenario, this program is in really good footing for a new coach if he does decide to leave. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%, and I think they're at a place where they can be successful if he does decide to move on. You're right. I mean, he doesn't move on if they're not successful again this year. No one's going to be taking on a coach who – has one great year and then falls back into obscurity. So they've got to have a good season for him to move on. Um, he's earned the right to move on, honestly, if he so chooses to do so. Um, you know, that's the nature of the business. You bring a program back to respectability, sometimes you get a big offer, and that's just kind of how the way life goes. Uh, I don't think Colorado is screwed by any means if McIntyre does go that route with two good, two successful years under his belt. And in terms of the lawsuit, you know, it's unfortunate that this became a victim versus CU thing versus a Joe Tumpkin versus the victim situation. Right, yeah. I mean, I think it is really unfortunate. There's been a lot of flip-flopping in how this is handled on by all the parties, which is why we're sitting here today, you know, getting sued for something that you asked the university not to do originally is a little bit confusing. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, that's a traumatizing experience, and I fully yeah. understand that, so... Talking rationally about a situation that's not rational is, you know, probably stupid. So I'm, I'm not trying to harp on either side one way or the other. I understand both sides of the argument, but it, it could have been handled better by both by sides. For everybody sure. here. Everybody <laughs> on every level of this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on, Black and Gold Josh had this question. Has the situation with Mike McIntyre's contract had an impact on recruiting from what you've heard? I have actually had a couple coaches, one DM me, prominent Texas coach, uh, one, I got a text message from a California coach, and there are some other schools negatively recruiting against CU because of this. Now, yeah. I don't know how much that's really affected the bottom line in terms of commits, though. Yeah, I mean, you have to, coaches are going to do this, right? I mean, you need every advantage you can get. These guys are trying to go after the same commits. You're going to hang on to every little thing while it's available to you. So I'm not really going to crush them for doing that either. I mean, they're responsible to, for their school to get kids no matter, and by all means necessary. I mean, if they're lying about the situation, that's one thing, but I don't think they need to. I mean, if you just talk, this is not a great situation to be in if you're CU. 
people are going to talk about it. I think you just kind of have to deal with it until it gets settled. Yeah. If it's me. I've always thought, though, sometimes that negative recruiting can backfire just as much as it can help For you. sure, especially if it plays out in Colorado's favor and, you know, everything blows back. And then you just look salty, right? But in the midst of it, I could see why people would be like, you know, because there is, there is some semblance of we don't know exactly what's going to happen. You know, people are going to be left up in the air potentially with, with this situation until it's resolved. So I get why coaches are using that to their advantage. Again, mid-June. I'd expect that contract to get approved, and then we don't have to talk about this anymore. And right. Seems like and it can affect recruiting at that point. Yeah, it seems like it's been so delayed, but really it's just another two weeks. Like, in the general scheme of things, is it going to matter those two weeks? Probably not. We'll see, though. Token Buff had this to say, Once the limits on multi-year contracts go away, do you know if all of the assistant coaches will be getting multi-year contracts or just some of them? Also, is anyone else, for example, Drew Wilson, slated for a multi-year contract? Are they going to be two-year or three-year deals? That's the end of his question, and it's a really good question. And one, when I read this, I was like, "Holy crap!" I actually have to like find out because that <laughs> it's going to go into effect August 9th, that new law that allows for this. So it's coming up pretty soon. So what what I'm going to say here is just a guess, but I would think coordinators probably three years, regular assistants two years. And, yes, Drew Wilson needs at least a two-year deal. Yeah, I'm not sure with the Drew Wilson situation. I'm not sure how they handle those contracts to begin with. I don't know. Does he have year-long deal now? Is that how it – I think it's the same as is, the assistants. Is it? Yeah, I'm not sure. It would be interesting to find out how that plays out. Um, from the coaches, yeah, I mean, it's three years the most. I'm not 100% sure. On... I, I don't, well, there's not going to be a limit on it, right? But – you can't get out of control because no, I, of the, the nature of the coaching industry. Right. No, yeah, I got you. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if um, the coordinators got an extra year than, than the other guys. I'm not sure what their timeline is there. It also wouldn't surprise me if they kind of hinged a lot of the contract based on what McIntyre's extension is. Obviously, they're not going to give a guy five or six years. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think um, they'll try to lock up as many guys as they can long term. Um, but maybe some of the newer guys on the staff will stay year to year. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, why I think a two-year is going to be more of the standard for most of those guys is because Oregon has deep pockets, right? We saw that with the Jim Leavitt hiring, and Charles Clark was kind of torn between whether he was going to stay in Boulder or go to Oregon, and they offered him a two-year deal. So it's not like they threw this five-year crazy contract at Mm -hmm. him. So it was a two-year deal for him to go there, and he was on the fence. So if you see you, right. I'm, I'm thinking you're going two years with these. Yeah, I'm just going to be curious to see if other schools, in order to entice people moving forward, are going to is it going to start being that? Oh, I'll get. It could you get a out third. of control, right? That that's my concern. Is oh, someone's going to be like, all right, well, you want two million guaranteed? I can give you a third year instead of two, and then how does how far yeah. does that go? That's my concern with the whole deal. But that, yeah, that would be the downfall. But I mean, CU wasn't even able to play that game before. No, right. right. Yeah, I think I think for the most part it'll be good as long as there's some limitation to how it's implemented, I guess I would say. C. Bardeen had these questions here. Any sense for how the defensive coaches are coming together? Have the teamwork issues that surfaced after left been resolved? Have they all bought into their roles? Can you rate each in terms of coaching ability and coaching effort slash ability based upon what you've seen and heard? Any changes in opinion from when they were first announced. Uh, It's hard. I mean, you're not a fly on the wall, but 
when Mike McIntyre was hiring these coaches, one of the top criteria was, are you a good staff guy? Mm-hmm. So from that level, you don't have... Jim Levitt was a very successful head coach. That's a different dynamic. Yes. And he was at a point and, where... And he was successful with some issues. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think that stuff went away. Yeah. Um, so these are, I mean, a DJ Elliott's not coming in and having that Levitt, my way or the highway type of mentality. Yeah, I don't think so. And some people are going to view that as soft maybe and not tough enough, but I don't necessarily think that's true. You can You can look at it a different way. I think he's going to be pretty successful at Colorado. I, I like his recruiting dynamics. Um, I think he has good connections there, and I think he's an overall good dude, which most kids appreciate. I mean, I think kids need to be pushed like Levitt was able to do, um, but that, um, I also think that kids need to have good influences and good people in front of them, and I, I think Elliot can be that guy. He asked if our opinions have changed since when they were first announced. One thing I learned doing this for 13, 14 years is that when somebody gets hired, you try to accumulate as many facts about that person. What are their, what were their strengths at their previous stops? Yeah. And report that stuff. But I, I kind of reserve a lot of stuff. I mean, Dan Hawkins was, quote, a home run hire, right? So I look at things through a little bit of a jaded lens and not always in a negative way. You know, people were complaining about Shadon Brown because he came from a, a non-Power 5. Yeah. If there's one guy, maybe I did have an opinion changes about him maybe a little bit because I was really, really, really impressed with him this spring. Yeah, I was. I loved him right away and uh, loved him at the recruiting lunch when he was there. So he was the one guy that I've always – I was like, okay, this kid, this kid has a personality to be really special as a coach, and I still feel that way. We'll see how his on-field product turns out to be because obviously that's – in the end, that's what matters. You have to you know, coach a good defense and not have a secondary that's making mistakes all over the place. So he still has most of his – you know, um, job interview left, but he's he's hit a home run so far for me. Um, he did ask another question about the teamwork issues that surfaced after Levitt. I, I don't I don't remember any teamwork issues. This team is pretty tight knit overall, um, so I'm not really sure he was going out there. Have they bought into their roles? I think this defense knows what they need to do, and it's gonna it's that next step up or that next guy up mentality. There's gonna be a lot of fresh faces on the defense, but there's some talent out there. I think you'll be impressed with what they do. Yeah. Ralphie's running asked, what's your favorite off-season topic that fans complain about during the dog days of summer? Uh, that's the end of his question. Is favorite in the complaint that drives me the most crazy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Probably when there's not a commit for a few weeks, people right. tend to freak out. And it's the same time every single year. Like, no one's like, I'm going to take this four seconds to just look back and realize that no one commits in May ever. So why am I getting so upset? So I, I had a little bit of a rant on the board the other day about that. I mean, I get it. You always people think as soon as there's not positive momentum, then it's negative. That's not really how recruiting works. You can't get a commit every ten days, or you'd have seventy-five guys committed. So you need to kind of figure out how you want that to work out. Um, I get it too, camps, though. It's it's our no, society. I do, now. I do. and is, and you know, trust me. I'm from Cleveland. As watching CU football the last ten years, like there's always that fear that it's going to fall off the yeah. cliff at any second. So I do understand that, but sometimes you just got to revert back to last year and just be like, you know, we have more commits now than we did last year that are far higher rated than we did last year. Last year turned out fine. Like let, let's just see how it plays out. Maybe this is just me getting old, but I, like I do worry about like my daughter's generation, like. They get everything at the touch of their finger every second they need it. It's just like, 
we're almost we get things too quickly nowadays. And it's, oh yeah, the patience is yeah. brutal. I, I I talk about it all the time with coaching in all sports. Like you can't fire a guy in two years in almost every situation. Like you're not even giving a guy time to implement his own standards. Like unless it completely falls off the rails. Like Embry obviously is the one example yeah. that everybody's like, okay, this is not working. But for the most part, you just don't even give a, ch- a guy a chance to, you know, set his standards, set his culture at his school. There's not enough time. Yeah, I mean, would Mac McIntyre even have gotten as much time as he did at, at a lot of other places? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I feel pretty confident with that, and I think that's a mistake. And our last question in the mailbag is from our guy Elrod6236. He says, sup, fellas. I always enjoy listening to your takes. I recently found out I'm going to be a papa, and it's never too early to start thinking about these things. What's a better name for my kid? Cepho, Cordell, Mason, or LV? Well, congratulations are in order here. That's exciting news. Yeah, man. Yeah, I already congratulated him on Twitter, but this is awesome. I'm happy for you. So what do you think? What A CU-related... Name. Okay, so I actually did think about this probably too much just for you. Uh, Cepho, no. Just not a good fit with the last name, sir. I just think that's an there's awkward thing there. Cordell, same thing. Doesn't mesh. Not loving it. Uh, Mason Rodriguez, pretty good. Like that one. Solid, strong name. Good to go. Mason Crosby, he's a baller. Can't go wrong there. Um, I don't know if you actually want it. If you, are you going to do... Luis Rodriguez Jr. here for the LV. You're going to have a middle name with a V somewhere in there. I'm not sure what your plan is. But Lawrence, no, didn't love that one. But if you did Vickers Rodriguez, that's pretty badass. That's the winner for me. Vickers Rodriguez. Yeah, man. I like that. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I like alliteration. Um, What if, uh, like, what about Rippy Rodriguez? (laughs) (laughs) Rippy. Doug's going to love that. Shout out Doug Rippy. Yeah, this is uh, no offense to Deshaun, but this definitely for, for Doug. <laughs> yeah. No, I think Vicar Rodriguez is the winner here. Vicar's Rod- yeah. Rodriguez. All right. Let's see it happen. Let's see if the wife agrees. <laughs> All right. couple real quick basketball topics before we sign off. The uh, basketball tournament, the TBT, is going to be beginning with the West Regional for the, the CU alumni on July 15th and 16th in Vegas. Hey, you got... No plans. That's not a bad deal. Go out to Vegas, uh, have, yeah. have a good time, watch them play. Team Colorado stole Xavier Silas from City of Gods, and their roster is even more stacked now. Yeah, their team is insane. I know the um, – I don't remember what they call it, the international the, – the team with all the European players that's won the last two years. They're obviously always going to have some studs as well. But uh, this Colorado team has got a ton of talent on it. I'd be surprised to not see them run a few teams out of the gym. Yeah. The only concern here, you just don't know from a chemistry standpoint, adding a whole collection of talent, there can sometimes, uh, that can backfire at times because you can sometimes not get in a rhythm as a player. A lot of these teams, the kids have played together the last two years, though, um, especially last year, a lot of them. Um, And it seems like Bo and Trent do a good job of making sure these guys are actually practicing, they take this pretty serious. I mean, they have donors and practice times. And yeah, they're doing a mini camp in Boulder, actually. Right, yeah, so they're, they're going to be – all the other teams have this issue as well, right? The chemistry issue, most of them don't play together all the time. But they take it pretty serious. I think they're going to have an advantage there, honestly. And adding a guy like Josh Scott, you know, that's not yeah, disrupting that's the, your chemistry. No, yeah, that's the biggest thing, I think, is they have legitimate big men now. I mean, they had a couple bigger guys on the team last year, but 
he's extremely talented, can help you on both sides of the floor. I think they just have a really complete roster now. It's a little bit. I don't think Levi Knutson is on the team. He's this not. Year. Yeah, there's a couple. He had guys. a tough ending last year. That's too bad he can't kind of have that redemption story. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just. Uh, I forget. They told, he told me what he was doing, but something, something unrelated to basketball these days. Okay. Um, I think. I think he also had a kid recently. Maybe. Oh, that's, okay. Maybe okay. that's. I, if I, I apologize if I'm wrong, but I think maybe that's what it was too. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I had a lot of fun watching it last year. There's a lot of guys you remember from back in the day, not only at Colorado, but other colleges too, that kind of you don't hear much about anymore because they play overseas. But it's a fun little tournament, and I'm glad that it's really blown up the way that it has. It's not CU-related, but I was listening to, on my drive down here, a podcast with Ice Cube. He was the founder of this three-on-three league they're doing uh, on FS1 that's starting later this month. It's going to be guys like Allen Iverson. It's that three on three is really entertaining to watch. Yeah, I think that's going to be fun. Yeah, Kenny and Martin's got a team too. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like is they put in a four point deal. And <laughs> you're getting a little too gimmicky. Like we've all anybody that's played basketball, you've gone to those three on three tournaments. It's it's kind of a culture almost the way those. It's a really fun sport. Yeah. Don't get too circusy with it. Yeah. It's, it is really a freewheeling game too, though. So I kind of understand it. But yeah, the four point. <laughs> <laughs> Could be interesting. He said they've been like practicing and hitting it like a twenty five percent clip on the podcast. I mean, yeah, someone's going to wait on a four point play on a buzzer beater. And <laughs> that will be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll get me to buy it. Yeah. Last thing here is uh, let's talk about uh, the twenty seventeen signees arriving on campus this month. Tyler, I want to ask you that this. Tad Boyle said this is his best signing class. Four of the five guys are highly regarded in terms of their rating. Three four star guys. Which of those guys are you most excited about? Man, it's hard to really pick one because they're all so different. Um, the one that fits what I love in a prospect the most traditionally is Tyler Bay. Um, just love defensive-minded, going to rebound, going to shut you down, really versatile, has a chance to um, – you know, he's not going to be an elite offensive player, I don't think, ever in college, but could be good enough to make it to the next level. I'm really excited to watch him develop. Just a freak athlete, and he's going to put somebody on a poster a couple times throughout his career for sure. Um, the one that I think has a chance to be the face of the program, though, is Deshaun Swartz. He can do it all. Um, it's such a crafty game. Left-handed mentality, like any, anybody who watched Jalen Rose growing up, he's kind of got that similar crafty style to him. He's not going to dunk all over you, but can get to the places he needs on the floor. He's a good passer, a great ball handler for his size. Uh, not a big-time athlete. He's not going to blow by you, but with his size, I don't think it's really going to matter. He can shoot over you. He's got a great touch. Um, I'm really excited to watch him play, man. I think he has a chance to be extremely special. I think Tyler Bay's mine, too. And it's almost like he's got no bust potential. There's no way that he's not going to at least be a a, a pretty darn good player at the Pac-12 level, in my opinion. Yeah, at least on one end of the floor. And he's got some dog in him. You watch those clips. Yeah, he's trying to end you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it was a good show, I think. We Anything we didn't touch on, Tyler? Not really. Dog days of summer, man. Maybe the Rockies will keep us interested. Can't wait to actually watch some kids play football, though. It's been a long yeah. time. Long, long time. So uh, hopefully we have some good information for you guys at these camps coming up in the next few weeks. Keep on the lookout. Usually it's fun stuff. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with the show before too long.